Well, ooh. My family probably sound loud enough. Oh, thank you. That's great. That's great. Well, I'd want to uh, thank you, first of all, for the invitation to be able to come and minister the word with you this morning. It's a great privilege to be here. I want to thank Tom and uh, Dorothy and the invitation extended to us. Uh, some of your faces, one or two faces I know, I've seen at various places, and I sort of think, where have I seen that person? Oh, yes, it was at that meeting. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, forgive me for associating you with certain buildings, but it's <laughs> a so way I can remember who you are. Um, but it's a joy to be here. Yes, we've known Tom and Dorothy and the family through, uh, for about 10 years, and uh, uh, Tom brought an exhortation at our wedding, Helen and I, when we were married back in 2007, which was wonderful, so thank you for that, Tom. If I didn't thank you at the time, I know it's about what is this, nine years ago, but um, it's a joy to be, as I say, joy to be here. Um, what I want to do is start by having a word of prayer. It, I try and make it my habit, before I read the word of God, before I, before I meditate upon the scriptures in the morning, to ask the Lord to speak to me. Because it's a spiritual book, the Bible cannot be understood with the natural mind. Okay, And unless the Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures to us, we may agree with what's being said, but light won't be imparted to us. But the entrance of the words gives light. And what we need is the word of God to enter our lives. We don't just want to simply have sermons, do we? We need bread. We live in a day where there's a shortage of bread in the house of God, generally speaking. Sad to say, but very few really get before God to seek the Lord as to what he wants to say to the congregation. We, we have often anecdotes or stories or things, but what we need in these days is the bread of the word of God. It's, and if you have that, and if I have that, we're going to be fed. And if you have that, what it will do is draw your attention to the Lord and not to the preacher. And that's what we need. The sooner the preacher is out of the way, the better. It's if God is speaking to you and, and myself. That's what we need, isn't it? Well, let's ask the Lord to meet with us, shall we? Dear Lord, we are indebted to you for the opportunity of this time. We want to thank you, Father, for four years of blessing upon Gateway Christian Fellowship. We want to thank you, Father, for preserving the work. And Lord, we want to ask that this morning you would give a word to your people here from yourself. Let us know and have that quickening in our spirits that God has met with us, that God has spoken to us. Lord, deliver us from ourselves, uh, flesh and the natural man certainly delivers from anything of the enemy seeking to get in. What we ask, Lord, is that you would cause your anointing to be on the speaker and all of us who hear, so that we will hear according to your Spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would speak to this church this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. Um, there's a verse that was initially on my heart that uh, 
I felt the Lord give me for this morning. So I wonder if you turn with me to the book of Psalms, and particularly Psalm 127. 127. 127. Psalm 127. This is um, in the middle of a series of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. They range from Psalm 120 right through to 134. So you've got a series of psalms that are all about pilgrims going up. Ascending obviously means to go up, doesn't it? And really the Christian life, friends, is should be, a, at least what we should be aspiring to, is going up, getting onto a higher ground with God. There's a wonderful old hymn that never fails to touch my heart whenever I sing it, but it talks about my goal, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on an heaven's table land, where life and light and joy surround, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And God wants to do that for you. Because, you know, if we begin a journey in the Christian life, it doesn't stop where it starts. Yes? We often think that the Christian life is all wrapped up in the very beginning of it. Yes? So, well, I was born again 20 years ago. But where am I with the Lord today? That's the crucial issue. Have I made progress? Everything available to you is with God. And all the blessings of God in Christ are yes and amen for you. There's no shortage of God's enabling to get you up the mountain. I don't care how weak you are. Uh, God actually likes to take weak people because it proves that getting up the mountain was done by him and not by them. (laughs) And God wants to take you up. And God wants to take me up. Naturally weak people, but the Lord's able to make your faces like lions, friends, in the midst of a community that is perverse and contrary to the things of God. But the Lord will make you strong if you let him. He will instill strength into you, power, enabling from himself. You know, I think of those men that went out to David in the wilderness. Do you remember that time? They were destitute, they were in debt, they were depressed, all the deeds you can think of. Um, They were absolutely despondent, weak, and the Lord made their faces like lions. The Lord wants to realise, doesn't want his people to think that they're to be a weak people. God's people are strong in the Lord. When they do it of their own backs, they become weak and indifferent and the enemies can ride over our heads. But if we allow the Lord to strengthen us, you see, we have a strong king. We've sort of lost sight of Jesus Christ is a strong man. He's not weak. He's in heaven. He's already defeated all the principalities and powers, disarming them at the cross. Jesus is full of dignity. He's the Ram of God. And he's strong. And he's able to save you to the uttermost. Not just from the guttermost. Okay. I've got that from David Paulson, so it's not really good. Right. Okay. So moving on, go up, go up the mountain, press on further, set your sights high, friends, on the things above. You know, think of if you have the faith of a mustard seed, what can happen? 
Incredible. So, a song of degrees. Now, Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Amen? (laughs) Okay, low children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. That's wonderful. Children are a blessing. That's why Satan hates children. He's seeking to destroy their lives. As we speak, in Scotland, certain laws are coming to pass that will mean named persons can interfere in children's lives to the the putting aside of the parents. Coming out of covering. Parents are covering for the children and the enemy wants to snatch them away. Thank God it's not at that point in England yet. But we need to cry out to God for our children. God speaks. I was in tears over this lad. God speaks through children. God's spoken to me through my son before. Somebody, I had a, a young girl in our Sunday school who said to me last Sunday, she never usually talks much, and she said last Sunday morning, she said, can I say something? And I said in the Sunday school class, yes, of course you can. What is it? And she said, I had a dream. I said, what is it? She said, I had a dream that a war's come in over the face of the earth like nothing has ever been seen before. That Jesus is coming soon. Is a kid. And she said, and the Lord wants us to be prepared. This is it. This is, you know, and yet so many of us are asleep, aren't we, to the days we live in. Friends, that listen to your children when the Lord is in their mouths. You know. I remember I put in Isaac to sleep years ago when he was about four, three, maybe three, four. He said to me, Daddy, the Lord's so kind to save you, isn't he? <laughs> I said to him, you're right, Isaac. <laughs> he said, uh, and he's so kind to save mummy. I said, yes, yes, he is. Um, he's so kind and gentle, isn't he? I said, he is, yes. And then he said this, he said, he touches us so gently, doesn't he? And I was, yes, he does. Yeah, he does. He touches us gently. The enemy is after our children. We have to fight for our children. Read Nehemiah chapter 4. Fight for your wives. Fight for your families. Fight for your brethren. And fight for your sons and your daughters. Fight for them. They can't fight for themselves. But they have a mighty warrior in heaven who is waiting for the prayers of their fathers and their mothers and their churches. You have lovely children here. They're a credit to you. They really are. Blessing. Low children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. 
Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. God's saints will speak with the enemies in the gates and there will be a clash of counsels. But if the Lord is in your mouth, the counsel of the enemy will not stand. It will be brought down. The arguments of the enemy are to be brought down by the Lord through the church. This is what's meant to happen. Casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Evolution exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know people that are gripped by that, don't you? Pray that that argument will be cast down from their minds. Jesus can do it. In the place of counsel, the clash, the victory is the Lord's. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to focus here on verse 1 to start This is really on my heart this morning. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. It's pointless unless the Lord builds the house. Now, what is this saying? Is this basically telling us that to labour in the church is a pointless exercise? What we need to be doing is sitting down on couches, drinking our cups of tea, or if you prefer coffee, a cup of coffee, or if you're a kid, an orange squash. We just sit down and we wait for the Lord to supernaturally do everything because we don't have any part of it. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labour in vain. Is it saying that? Not at all. In fact, the one who's accredited with this psalm is Solomon. And Solomon wrote a lot in the book of Proverbs about not being lazy. (laughs) So actually, I don't think the psalmist is saying to us, Take your ease. Don't worry about it. Let God do all the work for you. Is it saying that? It's not saying that God's going to do all the work for you. No, it's not saying that. What is he saying? He is is saying that if we labour apart from the Lord, if we do work within the church apart from Christ, Our labour is in vain. Vain means that which is a falsehood from the Hebrew. It means vanity, vain, that which is a lie. It gives an appearance of spirituality, but actually it really isn't true. Only that of your Christian faith that is true, let's put it like this, The extent to which your Christian faith, your your personal walk with the Lord is true, is to the extent that Jesus is working in you. Yes? Everything apart from that is us. Only that which is Christ in you is true. Yes, yes, yeah. Now this is wonderful. Now... The true church is Jesus Christ in his people. It's not just the people. We often think the church is not the building, it's us. Kind of. But the true church is Jesus Christ through his people. That's the true church. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain. What it's saying is this. Unless the Lord is doing the building work through the life of the church, the work is vain. Because you know, 
bringing things into New Testament terminology, that the house represents the church, doesn't it, in the New Testament, whose house we are. We, we don't think of a church, as I said, like bricks and mortar, but we are living stones, aren't we? God is building us up. We are part of the building program of God. But unless the Lord initiates, unless the Lord it does the work through us, what we build up will be vain. You see, the Lord is not looking for those who will work for him. You think, this is terrible preaching, I don't like this at all. Why has Tom Chaco, such a good guy, got this chapter come up the front and tell us that we're not to work for the Lord? And in Tom, in his heart, is probably thinking, why have I asked this chap to come? <laughs> you know it's true. God is not looking for those who will work for him. He is looking for those who he can work through. Amen. That's the true church. Amen. You know, if the law can work through you, that's a different level altogether. So many dear brothers and sisters in the church are working their socks off for Jesus Christ. They're in a sweat. They're in a panic. Sometimes they're absolutely anxious. They don't know what to do. And the reason is, is because they haven't got any grace to be able to do the work that they're doing. The power of God is given only when God says do. When God says, I want you to do this, all the resources are laid on. For you to do it, no matter how hard you may think it is, somehow the Lord's going to enable you to do it. When the Lord said to Ezekiel in chapter 2 of Ezekiel, he said, stand on your feet. Then the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet. And that's the principle. That's the principle. God commands his Spirit enters and puts you on your feet or gets you to do something. It might be a strenuous work of itself, but somehow you've got the grace to do it. Not like Martha. Do you remember how in the house she had Jesus come to visit her? Mary and Martha were both women who had learned to sit at the Lord's feet. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Isn't that interesting? You know you can be distracted from Jesus Christ by serving him? Amazing, isn't it? You can be distracted by much serving. And because there was no grace upon Martha to be able to do this serving, she got in a flap. She was anxious and she's getting all het up. And in the end she said, Lord, I'm doing all this work and Mary's just sitting there. You know, that kind of attitude. <laughs> And the Lord has to calm her down. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Why? Because true service comes out of true sitting. You read the book of Ephesians. What's the first thing you read? about in, in the book of Ephesians, when you come to it. It's all about sitting. Why? Because you've entered into a finished work. You don't need to do anything to improve on what Jesus has done for you. Everything necessary for the true church to function 
powerfully has been won for you and I by the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing to add. When something's finished, it is completed. Can't add to it. Everything we do then has to come out firstly of us entering into a place of rest. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's a wonderful little booklet by Watchman Nee called Sitwalt Stand. Anybody read that? Sitwalt Stand? Just read the first chapter and you'll be blessed. It's all about sitting before we walk, before we stand. We need to recognise our position. You see, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. It's vain, it's all vanity. If Jesus hasn't initiated the work, it will be but bread of sorrow. You know, Paul talked about his labour He was a master builder. Do you remember it says that in 1 Corinthians? Master builder. The big question with dear Paul was not that he didn't labour hard. In fact, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you realise that he says, I laboured more abundantly than they all. In other words, than all the other apostles. There's nobody that laboured harder than Paul the apostle. But what does he say about his labour? He says this, I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Or in me. And then it says, and, and, and that is the basic premise of all his labour. It was the grace of God. He says this in verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me, sorry, and his grace bes- which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Now, it can be that the Lord wants to initiate something, but we don't lay hold of him for it. That's the other side of the coin, you understand? So that actually, Paul isn't saying God's grace was an irresistible force and I couldn't help myself but do what the Lord told me to do. Grace is not an irresistible force, it's an unmerited gift and favour. And for a gift, you need to receive it which is where faith comes in. But if you and I receive it by faith, you're going up that mountain because God's energy is for you and with you and in you and through you to be all that he wants you to be as a fellowship and individually as his servants. So friends, be encouraged first. You see, there's, as I said, you know, there's a lot of people working for the Lord who have very good intentions. But without the grace of God, it's vanity. It's just the eating the bread of sorrows. I know people that are working themselves silly and actually doing themselves no, no, um, no good physically because they're wearing themselves out. I tell you, Jesus does not wear you out. He will not lead you to be somebody who's a burnt out Christian. He doesn't want that for you. Sometimes we have to go that way. But I tell you, what is it that it's, it's often leaders that do this. Now, I know Tom might do this. I've spent time with Tom. But I know at certain places where they're slave drivers, aren't they, Tom? You know? They push. 
you know, unless you do this for the church, unless you're seen to be working hard for the church, you're not a spiritual Christian. This is the kind of guilt trip that people get into. Actually, it's worldliness. Think of Pharaoh. What did he do? He took away the material and made them work harder, didn't he? Jesus Christ doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to give you all the material you need. I'll give you all the grace you need, all the power you need, all the resources you need to be able to do what I command you to do. That's God. He's not a slave driver. He's a good shepherd who leads his flock. And doesn't drive them. Praise God for that. So dear brothers and sisters. What we need. Is to know what God wants to build. That's what we need. And the way we find that is by seeking the Lord. And what we need to do is take up the exhortation of Psalm 90. Which says where the psalmist says to the Lord. Show your servants, your works. Yeah? Let thy work appear to thy servants. We need to know what you are telling us to do. It's only then we can get to a verse a bit further down, which says, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Before we can ask the Lord to establish the work of our hands, we need to say, show thy work to thy servants. Do you understand? Am I making sense here? Um, so we need his work. And as we come together and pray, as we seek the Lord together, we begin collectively, corporately, understanding something of the mind of Christ. That's exciting. That's exciting when that happens. And we begin to think, the Lord's showing us this. We need to go this way. And out of that flows the resources of heaven to enable you and I to function his purpose. Brothers and sisters, are you functioning your Christian life on the basis of his power? On the basis of what he's saying to you? This is the key. The key all of us need to realise is to lay hold, lay fast the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, around the nations, there's a lot of empire building going on. In the church of Jesus Christ. People are trying to build big churches. I have a friend of mine that I met up with recently who told me his church that the main goal is to start with five and get to a thousand. That's it. That's the goal of the church. Big numbers. Because big numbers is it's impressive, isn't it? Let's be honest. Big money. Big money. Bigger bags for the offering. Or bowls, gold-plated. There is a bucket at the back. There is a bucket at the back. <laughs> it's not gold-plated, but there is a bucket at the back. God willing, it'll get bigger. And so, um, so basically, you've got this situation where people are building up their empires. In fact, they what they do, a lot of them, is kind of called uh, uh, research marketing. So they, they get questionnaires. And they go to the local people in the district and say, what would you like in our church? Or would you like this? Would you like this? Would you like, would you like, what kind of music do you like? And so they take the general consensus of society outside and say, right, they want this. And then they try and implement that within the church. Could you imagine Muslims doing that? They fear their God too much. What? The church isn't built on what 
blind, unbelieving people want within our church. It doesn't matter what men want. All that matters is what God wants. That's the church is here for God so that he can find a home to dwell in. This is what it says in Ephesians. It's all about us being built up as a temple, a house in the Holy Spirit. God is looking to be able to come in and dwell among you. And actually in the book of Revelation, you have a church called Laodicea where actually they're doing their own programs, their own agendas. They've got all kinds of things going on. And the Lord is he's knocking because he's outside the church. Now, if you went to Laodicea, they would say, that's impossible. Jesus can't be outside his church because the scriptures say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Yeah? Do you remember that? What does that mean? Where two or three are gathered together in my name. I mean, Jesus wasn't in the midst. Jesus wasn't in the midst in Laodicea. What does it mean? We've got to have the agreement that's of the Lord. It doesn't mean that because we turn up, the Lord is duty bound by promise to be here. I say that at my church in Mottenham. I've preached it a number of times. God doesn't have to show up because I'm here. <laughs> you know, we've got such a higher... Aren't we doing the Lord a marvellous favour in coming to church? You know, when we think about it, I put my best suit on, my wife had to iron my trousers. Okay, I didn't get to actually go to the barbers before I came to you this morning. I was I, I don't know. So, I, I, you know, but nonetheless, I'm here. Oh, isn't it good of me to be here? Shouldn't the Lord be so pleased that I... I'm here. You know, that's, we wouldn't say as much, but that's the kind of mentality almost, isn't it? Friends, when Noah built the ark, was he a success? Not really. Not by worldly standards. He only got eight in. But according to Jesus Christ and according to Hebrews chapter 11, he was a success with God. I'd rather be a success with heaven than this earth. Wouldn't you? And friends, if we have to lose people back in Mottingham, if we have to lose people, and we have, because we're preaching the word of God, I'd rather that than have a thousand and Jesus not be in church. The whole point of church is a dwelling place for God in the spirit. That's what God wants. So friends, do we recognize when his presence is here or not? This is it. We need his presence. And friends, when we feel there's something like a heaviness over us, why not stop the meeting and ask the Lord? Don't necessarily go through the motions. Don't worry, just got to keep this thing going. <laughs> not at all. We might stop, or Tom might stop in the middle of the meeting and say, I feel there's a heaviness over us this morning. You've done that. You've done that. You've done that. You know what that's like. I think there's a heaviness over us this morning. Can we just pray? I know of a church that they did this in the States. There was only 11 people in the church. And the pastor was getting through a sermon that was probably not very good, according to his words. And he broke down and said, something's wrong. Something's wrong here. Something's heavy. Somebody admitted they'd been stealing money from the offering. And that was the start of a massive move of God. They now have a choir of about 280 people there. Now, I'm not talking about numbers again. You understand? I'm not interested in numbers per se. But the increase that is of God is wonderful. Not the money-grabbing stuff. You know, preaching Christ. If we lose 50, we lose 50. 
But Jesus is the best friend to have. You've got Jesus on your side, you're not going to lose. You've got a thousand people without Jesus, you're going to lose. This is it. You know, in Colossians chapter 2, it talks about the growth which is from God. How long have I got? I don't even know how long I've been preaching for. Well, I will finish. I will finish soon. Thank you. The clock always goes quicker at the back of my church when I'm preaching. I'm sure of it. Okay. Verse 18 of chapter 2 of Colossians says, Let no man beguile you of your reward. In other words, that means you can be beguiled of your reward, doesn't it? You wouldn't tell somebody not if they could. It would be a vain thing to make them alert to, wouldn't it? Let no man, sorry, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast the head. Holding, who is the head? Is it not the pastor? Is it not the pastor? It's not the pastor. It is not the pastor. Do you know um, our friend Jacob? Jacob Prash, he was, he was speaking at our church recently and he said to me, he looked over and he said, John is, John is not the pastor of this church, church. He is the assistant pastor. And I was thinking, now who is the pastor? Oh, yeah, oh yes, of course. <laughs> Took me a while to twig. I was thinking I was a bit tired that morning. Any pastor is only the assistant pastor to Jesus. Jesus is the pastor of the church. Every assistant pastor lets Jesus. He gets the word from Jesus. He knows when something false is trying to come in. He protects the sheep. But Jesus is the pastor. If he's the pastor, wow. What a pastor you've got. See, the problem is, if we rely on the pastor, what happens if the Lord takes him out of the way? got nothing left to lean on and there's been Christian leaders that once they've suddenly died other leaders have fallen apart other leaders have fallen apart gone astray because the leader was their rock don't let the leader be your rock it's not fair on the leader and the leader doesn't want it let Jesus be your rock he, 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 he's, he's all our rocks now look, each one of us needs to hold fast the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. In other words, there's an increase which isn't of God. Well, we've talked about it, haven't we? You know, the kind of money grabbing stuff or, you know, seven steps to church success. By now, going to be out of stocks next month. Only fifteen ninety nine. You sort of think, well, it's a bit expensive, but um, yes, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? So much today. It's all about getting the business going. Do you know the church is not a business? It's not a business. It is not an organisation. It is a living organism. That's what the true church is. And that's what we're meant to be, together as the body of Christ. And we all need to grow together. Every one of us joints together. If my hand grows as a child really big, but my body doesn't, it's going to look ugly, yes? We all need to grow together. 
Corporate life is really important. Friends, if you're not part of a church, why not join here or, or get a church locally? All of us need to be part of living fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and, and the writer of the Hebrew says, especially as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as is in the manner of some. Especially as you see the day approaching. In other words, it should be more important to us to be the body of Jesus. One and another. Growing together. How do we do it? By each one of you, dear brothers and sisters, holding fast the head. Now, if we do that, it means you might be in a prayer meeting and one of you has some direction. Now listen, if one of you has direction from the Lord in prayer, the leadership may think, the Lord's in that. We need to take that up. So the leadership submit to the Lord in you. Sometimes we have to be corrected as leaders. Boy, if we're not willing for that, we're in trouble. We need getting things right. It may be through the congregation, but we learn together. Each one of us holding fast to Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. Tom cannot live your Christian life for you. Nor can any other leader in the church. Nor can your favourite Bible teacher. Each one of us holding fast the head. That's how growth happens. Each one of us. So friends, hold fast the head. You see, although it talks about a building in Psalm 127, it talks about children, doesn't it? Showing us that the... There should be increase, yeah? But it's an increase that isn't possible through organisation, but through union. Through union. Your relationship to Jesus Christ is the first thing. Not what you do for him, your relationship with him. What is it like? Does the Lord speak to you? Do you speak with him? Do you share with him? Do you share what Tom shared about, Lord, help me, when you're going through it? That's the kind of life we're to live. Daily in the presence of Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants you and I to be in relation to him. Everything of all the works flows out of that. But we sometimes need to return to our first love. Knowing Jesus. Loving Jesus. Living in fellowship with Jesus, walking with the Lord Jesus, holding fast the head. So, brothers and sisters, as we finish, let me ask you again, please, if I may, do think about this. Allow the Lord to build your house. If you and I let Jesus Rule over us. He will come in and dine with us. Isn't that marvellous? If I was Jesus with Laodicea, if they'd opened the door, I would have had a right go at them. You silly church. I've been outside waiting for you to get this door open and you've been as deaf as two... Where are your hearing aids? This is the kind of attitude we have. Jesus said... If anyone opens a door, I'll dine with him. There's almost no malice, no... He's just looking for the hearts to open. This is true revival. This is true revival. When the church opens its heart to Jesus Christ to the fore. 
Friends, the Lord is raising up churches like yours in these days. I think this is the way the Lord's working, up and down our country. The Lord's raising up fellowships that don't necessarily have to have a a well-oiled hierarchy that belongs to 34 organisations to prove that it's a church. Let Jesus be your badge of honour. Let him be your name. Individually and corporately. And function according to his grace. And you won't grow weary. You'll climb up till you get to Psalm 34. And you will say, come bless the Lord. All ye servants of the Lord. Who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Let's sing that one more time, shall we? Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. Thank you. Who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord. Thank you so much, John.